thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining us on Wellnessman Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And uh, Ash, I feel so out of sync doing this. It's been a little while since we've sat behind the, um, you know, the podcast mic to tune in with you guys, just us solo, because we've been doing lots of, um, you know, interviews lately, which has been amazing. Um, and Ash, Oliver has just had his fifth birthday. Time flies, hey. We've been recording for so long that I remember putting him to bed and doing recording. So, yeah, it's really amazing. And now Miss Ella is, uh, yeah, doing the whole I'm six months old and I don't want to go to sleep and all that. So that's exciting. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, That's amazing. I still remember when you announced your pregnancy with Oliver on the podcast Um, and then when we talked about your birth with him and everything, like, oh, my gosh. How has that been five years? I know, right? Amazing things. And we've had a you know, a lot of cool things have happened in the meantime. So uh, let's let's talk about tonight. I'm just I'm just jumping straight into it because I'm like, you yes, know what? Great. I can see us having a whole we... <laughs> catch up together. Like we, I feel like we're just about to go. Oh yeah, and hey, how's it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, it's good because I always want to catch up with you on the show, but you always um, want to stick to the um, stick to the stick to the story and the point and why we're actually here in the first place. So that that's so typical of our personalities I'm gonna call that, like, as well. So preservation though because that's just oh, me yeah. being like time aware going oh god we both need sleep like we both have busy lives <laughs> um all right so ladies uh, this podcast episode we are talking about 
hot flushes. We want you to understand the causes of and all the intricacies and the ins and outs of hot flushes so that you can actually manage them better. And this is not just relevant for menopausal women or perimenopausal women. Obviously, this is, you know, most prevalent during those timeframes. But some women do get these so much earlier in their cycling life. They can be caused by a whole bunch of different reasons. It doesn't just have to be the hormonal changes that happen with that hormonal transition. So this episode is dedicated to understanding your hot flushes. I love it too that, you know, you, we call it hot flushes, which is really common in Australia, but a lot of the reference material we're looking at, um, they're called hot flashes. Yes. And I'm like, is it the same thing? Yeah, it's definitely the same thing. It's just, you know, change one letter in that word. So yes, like interchangeable hot flashes, hot flushes. We're talking about the same thing in case you're wondering. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. Exactly. And like we were talking as well about how this is just such a common symptom. You know, we're in excess of 85% of women report this um, in menopause. And I know you've got some great studies to refer to. So let's um, give everyone an idea of just how common this is, because it helps to understand, hey, my body's not crazy and stupid. I'm um, experiencing something a lot of an experience mm-hmm. and also then make sense of the why, you know, the central nervous system involvement and things like that. So let's go nerdy and explain it all for everyone now. Oh, and, you know, obviously that's my favorite thing just to to get nerdy into all of this. So um, the hot flashes, hot flashes, whichever way you want to say it is is so, so common, which is why, you know, we've had to actually do an entire episode on it in itself. Um, There's some interesting studies that actually came out of the University of Melbourne here in Australia that, and when they were um, sort of analyzing these women over that period of time, which is obviously that hormonal transition time, it was only 17% of the women that didn't have them. All the rest, so that's 83% of the women experienced hot flushes. Some of them were really severe. There was a US study as well that showed that 80%, 87% of women reported daily hot flushes and a third of those had uh, more than 10 a day. And the, the hot flushes themselves can, you know, might be described as that um, it can be a brief or prolonged sensation of warmth. It can be even like hourly waves of heat where women can like, you know, you might see them fanning themselves. They might be sweating. They might be absolutely drenched. They can also um, actually have the flushing sensation as well where they'll get the redness on the cheeks, the neck, the the chest, um, which can be quite embarrassing for women as well. Um, but they can also get that tachycardia, so that increased heart rate with it. But that can also be accompanied with palpitations, so that, um, you know, quite uncomfortable sort of sensation of your heart rate. You can get anxiety and irritability with it and can also cause panic. Um, 60% of women um, who, I don't know, where was I going with that? 60% of women, something, something. No, I think I've already covered that. So just ignore me there. Um, But for some women, they can have hot flushes for, you know, a few years, but they can actually last for as long as 20 years. That's a long time to feel like you're out of control of your hormones because that's what women report when they have hot flushes, that they do feel completely out of control. And all of a sudden, they'll get this weird change, this weird wave or heat sensation of their body. And they get anxious because they might be sitting at work in a meeting and all of a sudden they've got to turn the fan on, open the windows, fan themselves because they're about to start 
getting drenched and it's really distracting for what they're doing not to mention it can interfere with their social life um obviously their their work performance massively disrupts sleep because you can be drenching the sheets it's really hard to sleep through them can be affecting relationships and it's much more likely to um, be associated with depressive symptoms as well so women can really report a significant reduction in their quality of life when they have hot flushes as a opposed to women who don't have them. Um, so this is, you know, like a really important symptom for us to be talking about when it comes to hormonal shifts and transitions. And you mentioned a situation there, like, you know, the, the business meeting, and that's mm-hmm. a really interesting one because that's one of those key triggers. And the five most common reported triggers of hot flashes are actually number one is stress and emotional situations. So, of course, yep. you know, in a, in a meeting environment, that can often trigger a stress response. Um, that was 59% of responses. Uh, external heat, so, this, you know, the ambient environment around you, 44%. Confined space, so think about a meeting room or, you know, anyone who has to go into an office or a confined space, mm-hmm. 38%. And then if you're touching alcohol or caffeine, they're also common triggers for that sensation yes. of hot flashes. So, um, yeah, now you can sort of see why certain situations, sitting in a cafe with a girlfriend, you might have a breakout or might be sitting over a cup of coffee, you know, in a confined space. So there's certain responses there that will be uh, common to lots of women, as we can see from those numbers. Yeah. And, uh, Ash, I'm glad that you've talked about that because, you know, how distressing is that for women that they're fearful of the fact that it's going to happen while they're at work? And then when it does, it induces the anxiety around it. And then that exacerbates the whole, um, I guess, the essentially the reason why it happens in the first place or that pathophysiology of, of them to begin with. Um, so let's go into that because I think the actual um, the trigger or what actually happens physiologically in the body is quite poorly understood, yes. um, which is why the treatment regime for it can be a little bit haphazard um, and we'll certainly look at like the western medical approach to hot flushes as opposed to you know maybe some other sort of um you know like a, a more balanced sort of holistic um sort of approach to it in a second as well um but what we do know is that the um estrogen hormone you know, withdrawal or change certainly plays a role in it. And especially when you have this intermittent change in estrogen production from like your ovaries. But this also speaks to why some women premenstrually, like right before their period begins, um, can also get uh, just transient hot flushes. So a few nights before your period is due with that estrogen withdrawal, it's dropping below that threshold to allow for the bleed to initiate in the first place. They can wake up with night sweats and those sorts of things along the same line too, um, which is a really key indicator of what their hormones are doing premenstrually, um, just as a little um, thing to pay attention to there. So with this changing ovarian function, it also changes neurotransmitters. It changes communication to the brain with the hypothalamus and its thermoregulatory effect. Um, So what happens is there's these little small elevations or or things that are triggering small elevations in core body temperature, um, which, um, you know, changes that or or reduces out what's called our thermal neutral zone. So we have very tightly regulated um, body temperature that's, 
you know, controlled by the hypothalamus. And when it changes, the body needs to respond to that. Um, so with this estrogen depletion that happens at menopause, uh, it changes, you know, obviously that, that thermoneutral zone. And we know that elevated central sympathetic activation which means changes in our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight responses, which is essentially think stress responses, which are mediated by our adrenal receptors. Um, so this is one of the factors that's responsible for the narrowing of that thermoneutral zone. So um, it makes us more sensitive to heat changes. Um, so which means that things that will help us to control our stress responses, help to control those um, activations from our adrenal glands is going to help us to have a greater variation or our body to adapt to changes in temperature and stress and everything else a lot better. Um, does that kind of make sense? Beautifully explained. And I think just understanding that, that you know, the changes in our sex hormones um, the influence of things like catecholamines, which are inflammatory markers or, you know, responses the body makes for pain responses. Um, you mentioned the adrenal, adrenal responses, so epinephrine yeah. and norepinephrine, um, and as well, you know, throwing their thyroid hormone. And they're all mm. sort of, they're, it's a, we've always talked about hormones being a symphony orchestra. Um, all of these things have an interplay with each other. So anytime there's imbalances, uh, then their response from that hypothalamus is to try and regulate and to balance and mm -hmm. to do that it will obviously have responses and, and hot flashes are simply a response of the body to an imbalance and to understand the root cause of the imbalance well that's when you know you get into the hormonal aspects of menopause mm -hmm. and you mentioned you know that obviously the age-related um, reduction in estrogen levels so you know obviously no surprise that that's when women who are entering perimenopause or menopause is when they're going to notice these um, in probably the first time of their life, you know, often mm. other women will have noticed them when they're pregnant, for example, um, or postpartum, yes. you know, I had yes. them in postpartum period and it was really uncomfortable. I was like, oh my goodness, um, really. You Ash, know, how long did that last for for you? Not too long, probably only mm. like a maybe a week to 10 days. It was like kind of when milk was coming in and everything was a bit like, ooh, I mm. just felt, you know, <laughs> quite uncomfortable at night and I was often drenched. My shirt was drenched. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how. But, you know, if I had to feel like that, like you mentioned, for 20 years, it sounds like a harrowing experience, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, understanding root cause. And then, and then, of course, you know, it's not just that dropping estrogen levels. We're also about things like the culprit being progesterone imbalance as well, because obviously the, the lack of balance in relationship to the ratio with estrogen, um, it's going to put more s stress response on the body. You know, yeah. it's because um, mm. progesterone has that anti-anxiety effect. So you know, we yes. just talked about one of those triggers being stress responses and anxiety. Um, if we don't have that lovely mellowing progesterone response, then of course we're more prone to have the uh, the central nervous system activation, which relates to the flashes. Exactly. So, you know, it's. Yes. I think you explained that really well because it's just to to nail it down to something simple. It's basically saying they occur as a response to imbalance. Mm -hmm. we've all been told it's normal and to expect it but when you understand the why then there's a good chance you actually can influence some of the triggers or the reasons for the imbalance and hopefully reduce the severity um, or even duration of the hot flashes through that period of perimenopause yes yes exactly and um, it's interesting that they're they tend to be a lot worse in people who are sedentary 
Mm-hmm. Um, if there are pre-existing um, things like depression or anxiety going on in the first place, so we already know that that, um, that nervous system regulation, that stress response is possibly a little bit altered in the first place, um, obviously a lot worse in smokers, um, but the triggers for them seem to be really consistently, obviously stress, um, alcohol, big time. And you ask any woman who has experienced hot flushes that if she even has one glass of wine at night, she'll be up during the night and she'll um, be having hot flushes because of that. Um, gluten tends to exacerbate it as well because it decreases our good quality estrogen and messes with our, um, like the bad estrogen essentially. Uh, and things like refined sugars and spicy food as well can also trigger that too. But stress is obviously a big, massive part of that because it just narrows our body's adaptability to all of these things, which really affects our hypothalamic control of, of everything else. Um, and of course, as a response is that low grade systemic inflammation, you know, yes. and so you've just nailed it there with those dietary choices, the things that we're putting into our body, um, you know, from foods, inflammatory foods, particularly you mentioned the sugars, the gluten, yeah. um, and they also create dysbiosis in gut imbalances, which is then starts to affect things like our mineral um, balances. So you end up with deficiencies. And I've noticed in practice that women who are deficient in, for example, like um, most commonly magnesium, but potentially zinc as well, they tend to have more severe hot flashes. And you actually just do something as simple as a magnesium supplementation and they report that it's slightly better or much better. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see that it can be something so, I hate to say the word simple, because to anyone experiencing this, nothing seems like it's a simple fix. They would have felt like they've tried everything, but there really are some, you know, really baseline uh, minerals and supplementations that can help with it too. Um, unfortunately, like we've, you, you mentioned some studies earlier about the um, like ethnicity playing a role in this. And I thought that yes. was really interesting, right? Because we talked about Caucasians reporting more incidents of hot flashes. And why don't other cultures report that? Because Japanese um, women report only at a level of about 18%, Chinese at 21%, Caucasian white um, 31%. It's actually, you know, horrific for African-Americans. They report a 46% frequency of hot flashes, which is, mm. yeah, quite um, quite considerably different, you know, from the Japanese women at 18% to, you know, African-American at 46%. That's a huge variation there. And Ash, I wonder as well if um, when they were doing the studies on, say, Japanese women, I'm wondering if this is American Japanese women or Japanese women who still live in their country of origin um, because I wonder if it is the Western world pressures on women and the part of that cultural, um, I guess, stigma of only valuing youth and beauty and all of those sorts of things, whereas in Eastern cultures they tend to revere age and wisdom so much better. Mm. So I'm just wondering if um, plus they've got different pressures and, you know, roles in their family and blah, blah, blah. So I'm just wondering if it's a combination of um, the way they view ageing and the stress that that puts on them as well. Um, but it would be all of those we things. Also, but we also have women working now into their, their 70s because of the, mm, the pension age yeah, exactly. being increased all the time. So, you know, you think of a woman, then they're not retiring in their sort of menopausal years anymore. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're working yeah. until they're in their 70s, which is, um, yeah, again, really concerning because that's that constant stress response, that constant ongoing mm. um 
underlying cause of the low-grade inflammation that's creating the drivers and the, the sensitization that causes those hot flashes. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing that's interesting is that, um, for example, in Japanese cultures, they consume a lot more whole soy. Mm -hmm. And we know that, and plus some of the fibers and the other, um, you know, phytoestrogens that are essentially a treatment strategy for the management of hot flushes as well. And that sort of helps us to a lovely, a nice little segue into um, sort of the Western medic medical approach to them as opposed to um, more of a, a holistic approach. In, um, you know, in medicine typically they would use hormone replacement therapy or SSRIs, so selective serotonin um, reuptake inhibitors, which are, you know, generally used for depression and anxiety. If that doesn't work or if they're, um, you know, not a candidate for those things, they'd use other medications like things like gabapentin um or clonidin as well so these are pretty heavy going pharmaceutical drugs for something that for the most part can be managed very successfully with diet and lifestyle um, and there's really consistent evidence for this as well. Um, you know, there was a study that was published in the Journal of Reproductive Medicine in 2005 saying that there was no um, compelling evidence to show that, um, say, herbal medicine, for example, um, was, you know, useful for treating that. But that study is now almost 20 years old. Um, so there's been lots and lots of um, things that have come out since then showing that that's actually not true at all. And we know anecdotally as well that there's lots of tips and tricks that we use with our patients to help to manage that. Um, so first and foremost, stress reduction is always the, the biggest thing because we've got to help um, decrease that excessive sympathetic activation of the nervous system. We've got to help to calm the adrenal function um, and, uh, you know, make sure that we're making all those really good neurotransmitters so it's not going to be changing that thermo, um, you know, threshold so much. Um, so stress management, you know, that's always the key for pretty much all of the homework that we give you on every single episode. Well, the knock-on um, effect is on sleep patterns, right? We then have yes. the knock-on effect on thermoregulation, you know, at night. So exactly. um, utilising stress management strategies and particularly before bedtime, you know, breath work, meditation, mindfulness, yes. some light yoga, tai chi, anything like that that helps to downregulate the stress response. Don't be watching, you know, um, panic button movies like that have you all anxious and wild up um, and yes. getting involved in, you know, things that raise your blood pressure or create a stress anxiety response um, before bedtime. It's really good to take that time to, to unwind and to get rid of the blue light at least an hour before, you know, intended sleep time, yeah. join the 10 p.m. club. I mean, we could go through all of these things. We've done them all uh, in many of our episodes, so it should be ad nauseum for you guys listening now that you should be like, yeah, we know, we know, it, we know it. Um, so it's time to do it. <laughs> it's not good yes. enough to just know it. You actually have to do it. Yes. Um, but that's, you know, that's a really important part. And I think, you know, you can't possibly uh, change anything before stress is dealt with. And that's physical, exactly. chemical and emotional. You know, we go through that frequently mm. and the physical response to stress, the chemical response to stress, the emotional response um, that stress causes, they're paramount to whether or not you're going to feel better and function better. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, Ash, you are 100% spot on there. But um, how easy is that when you think like that? If you think of stress always in physical, chemical, emotional, it really helps as, you know, for your listeners, 
you can then start to break the pieces out of your own life. Like we're not here to tell you what to do and how to fix your life because you are the only person that's intimately um, aware of exactly what you do every day, what you put into your body, how you, you know, you respond to things. Because two, you, know, you and I could have the uh, same situation occur and both of us have an entirely different stress response to that situation. And some mm-hmm. people feel exhilarated by it. Other people feel terrified by it. Like they're completely different um, stress responses. So it's really hard to give a, a really, you know, clear mm. definition of what stress looks like. But all I can say is thinking about things like the emotional stress response, well, that's all how we respond to the world around us. So this is why having those breathwork techniques, having all those things at hand to utilize daily, not just when you think you're stressed, um, can help to prevent your escalation in stress responses in the body, which is step one, right? Prevention, not just trying to fix an overworked, overwired body. Um, And then you you think about things like the chemistry. They're, They're really straightforward things. We've talked about the stimulants, caffeine, things like that that are going to create problems with the thermoregulation. Alcohol um, is a massive problem, and that's why you know most of the time when we have our recommendations around the hormonal balancing protocols, we eliminate dairy, sugar, caffeine, alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, like and gluten. Our, yeah, yeah, and gluten, of course. But they're our top ones straight away. And people look at like you've got two heads and you don't know what you're talking about. But, <laughs> but when you know um, this stuff, it, you, works. it works, it works, it absolutely works. So, um, yeah, uh, sometimes we do feel a bit broken record, don't we, when we say uh, deal with stress? <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, and we also know it's that's so much easier said than done as well. Yes. But it's a constant evolution. This is something that, you know, each and every one of us are working on daily. Um, I guess removing the triggers is actually, in theory, pretty easy because when you figure out what those are for you, and again, um, for most women, it's alcohol, gluten, caffeine, refined sugar, and spicy foods. Uh, but there might be other triggers for you as well. Like Ash mentioned, it could be the dairy products. It could be you know, um, whatever other things that you're I think most of my perimenopause menopause moms will say they're teenagers. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're totally triggers. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, I had someone remind me the other day when, when uh, I was, you know, having one of my children was having a meltdown at the park. I won't name. Um, and she's looking and she goes, just remember, small people, small problems, big people, big problems. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm so, I'm so looking forward to these teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, oh, Ash, when, when that happens, just send them to their Auntie Andrea. I'll, yeah. I'll take care of them. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, so while you're removing the triggers, in, increasing <laughs> you well, or, or sending, sending your teenagers <laughs> to their delightful aunties or something, um, the increasing things like phytoestrogens can be really, really helpful because obviously that's starting to address some of the underlying hormonal um, sort of shifts that happen there. Um, now, obviously, we want to do this in a safe way so that we're not increasing our risks of other things, but stuff like fermented soy um, in tempeh, um, miso, natto, those sorts of things have been shown to be very, very safe. Um, flax, pumpkins, kernels, olives, linseed. Um, oh, I said flax, linseed, same thing. Um, red clover. Um, oh, what else? Olive oil, such a good 
source of vitamin E, which is one of the oldest tricks in the book for reducing hot flushes, um, you know, really increasing your antioxidants. So um, things like vitamin C, again, vitamin E, phytoestrogens, melatonin, um, turmeric, your great polyphenols, all of those sorts of things have been shown to be very beneficial for both perimenopausal and menopausal women um, or and even postmenopausal women as well, particularly um, for the treatment of things like hot flushes. Um, I like to use, you know, obviously a lot of Chinese and Japanese herbs for this purpose and it tends to work really well. Um, and Ash, I love what you said about magnesium because magnesium is required for every step of that stress response. So, um, you know, from a, um, what's the word I'm looking for from just that biological sort of endocrinological process, you know what I mean. Um, The magnesium is involved in every single step of that. So that's why just something as simple as a really good quality magnesium can be part of the treatment regime for that as well. Um, It helps with that central nervous system regulation. It's support for all of those pathways. It's the precursor to all of your neurotransmitters that help to regulate this that gives feedback to the hypothalamus. Um, so ladies, if that's one place that you can start, that's probably a really good, easy one. Um, and the other thing that has been shown that is free and easy and no one's going to know you're doing it, um, is paced respiration. So like what we always talk about, the controlled breathing. So any form of controlled breathing has been shown to reduce hot flushes. So I normally recommend the 7-11 breathing. So in for seven, out for 11 and repeat. And doing that for 10 minutes a day has been shown to reduce hot flushes by 40%. Um, ladies you don't have to spend any money for that. You don't have to go anywhere to do that. Um, this is something that you can be doing while you're sitting in those office meetings, um, you know, dreading a hot flush to come on and then you can actually be doing something really proactive to hopefully keep it at bay. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's, um, when we talk about how we can help ourselves, it really is being your own best doctor. It's Mm. doing the things that you can do on a consistent and regular basis that have few barriers to, you know, interacting or doing Mm. Um, because a lot of things, you know, if you're told you need to go to the gym five times a week and you don't want to go to the gym, well, (laughs) there's your barrier right there. But Mm -hmm. if people tell me they can't do breathing exercises, I'm like, okay, you're just copying out now. You're not taking responsibility for your stuff. You need to step up because, um, yeah, we breathe every day Mm. anyway. So let's just take some control over that breathing process. Um, And I think, you know, I think as well, you've mentioned it all kind of comes back to the same thing time and again. And that's just really well-balanced blood sugar. Yes. Um, And you've alluded to all of these things through everything you've mentioned there, supplementation, nutrients, and all those um, elements to it. But really balancing blood sugar and having, you know, a a regular cyclical eating pattern and things like that can make a huge difference because um, when we eat poorly, when our blood sugar levels are out of whack, then obviously we exacerbate inflammatory states, which you know, increases overproduction of stress hormones mm. um, and that there is, you know, I guess, what we often refer to or you might see referred to as things like estrogen dominance 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you realize there's a huge amount of control you have over that. So having a great um, start of the day, I definitely encourage people to do what uh, we do, which is the whole idea of breakfast is to break fast. You know, this yes. idea that we've fasted over the night. And so having a really good quality breakfast that includes protein, fat and fiber is one of those yes. really essential ways to start the day with well-regulated blood sugar levels. And yep. that is already going to increase your chances of not having hot flashes through the day particularly. And I know heaps of women who are doing, you know, um, intermittent fasting or Mm -hmm. um, time-restricted feeding or whatever fancy way you want to sort of refer to that, and they'll be like, oh, but, you know, my blood sugar levels have been so much more balanced since I've been doing fasting. And that may be true for you. And fasting can be great only if you have hormonal balance. And that's the only time that I actually advocate for it as well. And if you're having a hell of a lot of hot flushes, then that is not the time. Good point. Love yep. that. Awesome. Um, well, I think that's a pretty good rundown. Ash, let's just quickly before we end it, what are some of the other uh, potential causes of hot flushes? Cool. Just, just, yeah, just in case. Just in case they're overlooking. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, look, anyone who's ever done any medical science degrees of any sort will have, mm-hmm. you know, night sweats as red flags. <laughs> yes. Um, if anyone is having night sweats, you refer out. The reason being is that, unfortunately, there are some more sinister causes for night sweats. So, don't overlook night sweats and just assume that it's menopause. Do get your hormonal panel testing. Um, do run a you know regular blood panel mm-hmm. because that will obviously pick up any signs of inflammation, infection, uh, potentially, unfortunately, say the word, there's cancer as an underlying mm-hmm. cause of night sweats. So, um, you know, not overlooking the more serious concerns. Um, we obviously advocate everyone gets a full workup first to eliminate the nasties. Um, but in the absence of anything sinister or nasty um, and with the diagnosis of it's just menopause, deal with it, then all of the recommendations we've made are, uh, are going to hold true to increase the you know health and well-being and to obviously improve the quality of life for you know women experiencing hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that that's just a little important sort of PSA just to make yeah. sure that women are aware that, um, you know, it may not be just menopausal symptoms. So let's just keep a, um, an eye out on some other things. Oh, and if anyone is ever doing like a detox program, you might uh, experience something known as a nice and rush or flush. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and freak out and run off to the doctor because you think something's gone wrong and you're mm-hmm. dying. Um, so, yeah, just in case if, you, if you're ever doing a detox of any sort and no one's told you the possibility of um, adding supplementation, particularly supplementation of B3, uh, which, you know, you could be having um, – a protocol that includes a lot of cruciferous, you know, broccoli, brewer's yeast, um, things like dandelion greens, uh, and it's a really clean diet, but all of a sudden you get this B3 overload, uh, which creates a lot of the symptoms we've just talked about. So um, the only difference being that a lot of people will experience more of an itchy skin, and I've had it once in my life, and I can tell you I don't really want to do it again. It was was so weird. So um, that's just another little side possibility. If your dietary, uh, you know, changing your diet a lot, then it could also be that. But that should be temporary. usually eases within an hour or to and it will only occur again if you up your intake of uh, of b3 <laughs> awesome <laughs> random, all right those random things that you learn in life through uh, trial and error hey <laughs> yeah yeah and if you've experienced that you you know it as well yeah yeah <laughs> 
Awesome. All right, ladies. Well, that is, I think, everything that you need to know about hot flushes right now. Um, a, a really good guide to like why they happen, some things to look out for, and some also always some treatment strategies. So, ladies, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We're raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.